When was the last time you took a long, leisurely walk through a cemetery? Probably never. Cemeteries aren't places uh, where we lounge around or spend time with our family and walk among the tombs, reading epitaphs. Usually they're places we arrive at the last minute for a graveside service and then quickly leave. The service is always brief. And maybe it's, it's an occasion we will bring flowers to someone we have loved and lost, and then we're gone again. It seems to me that we might be wise not always to drive so quickly by every cemetery. Perhaps there's something significant we're overlooking. Clarence Edward McCartney, in his fine little book, Bible Epitaphs, writes about this. I have no dread of a cemetery. Sometimes it is better to be there and have fellowship with the dead who are buried than to walk down the streets of our cities and meet the unburied dead. That is, those in whom faith and hope and love and purity have long been dead, leaving only the animal alive. In the cemetery, the Bible of life is open, and a passionless voice reads to us its great lessons and tells us to apply our hearts unto wisdom. Sometimes, we can learn more from the silence of the dead than from the speech of the living. It occurred to me that reading through the first chapters of the book of First Chronicles, the first nine chapters, is a lot like strolling slowly through a cemetery. We read of people we're not familiar with, who have names we can't pronounce. They offer no context to bring them relevance to our world. Uh, frankly, it's rather boring. Anyone who's attempted to read through the Bible has usually decided to give up that idea when they hit First Chronicles. And then they have Second Chronicles to look forward to, which, by the way, is a lot more interesting. But this first section of First Chronicles, well, for example, let me read uh, a few random verses. Uh, I'll read chapter 4, 6, 7, and 8. You just listen. Nehorah gave birth to Ahuzam, Hefer, Tamini, and Hayar Ashtari, Helah gave birth to Zareth, Izhar, Elnan, and Kos, and who became the ancestor of Anub, 
Zobiba and, and all the families of Arathel, son of Harun. Period. See what I mean? And it's chapter after chapter, verse after verse, tombstone after tombstone, until suddenly you arrive at, well, two verses about one man. As the Spirit of God hovers over his life like a divine helicopter hovering over a site. And we realize this must be a, a treasure, a treasure worth discovering, examining, and appreciating. Otherwise, why would the Lord pause in the midst of all of those unknowns and expand one life? J. Oswald Sanders, in his fine book, A Spiritual Clinic, writes, When God troubles to preserve the epitaph of one man out of millions and gives it in such concise and meaningful language, we can be certain that it will repay detailed study. Well, I took Oswald Sanders at his word, and for the last week, a little more, I have attempted to unearth, if you will, exhume the treasure found in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Chronicles chapter 4. And indeed, there are things worth discovering. A couple of thoughts come to mind before we even get into the verses themselves. And the first is, obscurity need not overshadow any life. If anyone emerges from obscurity, the man we're considering today is the classic example. Never mentioned before, never mentioned again, like a meteor across the night sky. His name is suddenly flashed in the scriptures and never again. Never to return. But he was a man who prayed with boldness in spite of the fact that his life had come from obscurity. Now, I think I speak to some who understand coming from obscurity. <laughs> I certainly do. Remember, I'm from El Campo, one of the great sites of Texas. <laughs> well, I'm at least not from Muleshoe or Dime Box, or Booger Holler, one of my favorite places, and I'll stop there. You, you, you may be from one of those places, and it isn't funny, except to everybody else. It's obscure. I mean, if you want to see El Campo, you got to pull off the freeway, or you'll blink and miss it. But then when you pull off, you want to get back on the freeway and just keep going, or wherever you're from. Obscurity. But uh, it need not overshadow our lives. 
Let's not let it. We won't let it overshadow Jabez. Here's the second. Disabilities need not limit our vision. You say, where do you get that? Well, as you will see, he had a very unusual name. And it could very well include a serious disability like the one you struggle with. Now, not all disabilities are as obvious as Johnny Erickson taught us or the man I met at uh, a national conference this, this past summer who has no arms and no legs and sits on a, a very unusual little chair that's been prepared for him, literally no arms, no legs, personality scintillating, full of life, enthusiasm. In fact, one of the things he does, holds, he holds a high school assemblies and the kids pack out the auditorium to hear him as he somehow gets up on the stage and gets up on this little chair and tells them that life is worth it, regardless, then do they listen? Disabilities need not disqualify anyone. But I, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me read verses uh, 9 and 10 again. Just to refresh our minds, there was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than any of his brothers. His mother named him Yahweh, the Hebrew says. Jabez, it's rendered in English. We'll look at the meaning in a moment. Because his birth had been so painful, he was the one who prayed to the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me and expand my, my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and, and keep me from all trouble and pain. And God granted him his request, period. That's it for Jabez. Biblically speaking, you would pass right over it. If you didn't allow what is written to grab your attention and give it some study. So let me see if I can put a little meat on these bare bones and help you appreciate what is here and why it is important to all of us. First, Yahweh's. I'm drawn to his Hebrew name because the root of it is pain, anguish, misery. His mother named him that. Not, it's not a nickname. It's his name. We're not told why. 
So we're left to speculate. We need to be careful with that. But I'll acknowledge it is speculation that we think on the name pain. Why would she name him that? I, I, I think uh, every mother hearing me right now would say, well, I'll tell you, labor and childbirth, it's a painful experience. It's true. In fact, it is so true and so obvious that that wouldn't be the reason. Or every mother would name a child that. But there's more. Got to be more. Anguish. The Hebrew word is colorful. Anguish. So there was something about his birth that was anguishing, painful. It brought misery. Maybe her husband died during the nine months she carried him. And she birthed him as a single mom and reared him as such, along with a house full of other children. Could it be that, that she already was struggling, having enough income to feed the family, and now along comes another? Maybe they were at war at that time. It does happen. It seems as best to place it in the context of the conquest of Joshua moving into Canaan and establishing their land among the Jews there in Canaan. Uh, maybe there was a battle going on. Maybe her husband was killed in the battle. Maybe a couple of her children that were older. And here she is, this birth. And without being too dramatic, uh, it just may be that he, he, was, he, he was not expected. And the conception came as a surprise. And she wasn't ready for another child. Already had a house full. My grandmother was from a family of 19. I call that a litter. That, that's, a, that's a lot of kids. I, I don't know how many of uh, Jabin's mother had, but she had a lot. And maybe she didn't want to have another. Uh, maybe you were not planned. Welcome to the club. I wasn't either. In fact, early on, I was told you were a mistake. I kind of like that. I like, kind of makes me different. The others are planned. I just am here. That's what you get from messing around. I'm here. Hi. My mother, my mother tells a very, told a very cute story as I was growing up. She and my dad visited his mother. I never knew her. She died before I was born. But my mother was carrying me when they visited my dad's mother. She was a tough southern woman. I understand she stood about four feet eight, weighed about 80 pounds, dripping wet. And uh, she spoke her mind. And, and she, she watched as my mother was busy with one child still in diapers, a little girl, 
and, and then an older, little older, year older son, just barely out of diapers. And here she is waddling along with me in her, in her belly. And, and my paternal grandmother looked at her and said, Earl, come here, my, my dad. He stood about 6'1", 6'2". He said, yes, ma'am. And she said, the Bible says to multiply and fill the earth, but he never expected one woman to do it all. <laughs> Leave her alone. And he goes, yes, ma'am. I think he did. I'm the last child that they had. But maybe it isn't funny. Maybe you're not being wanted led to abuse. Thankfully, mine didn't, but maybe yours did. An unwanted child is often a mistreated child. It may have been Jabez's background. We don't know. I, I, I think of his growing up as a little boy named Payne. Hi, can Payne come out and play? All your life, you're left with that handle. How about in school? Okay, Payne, it's your turn. Payne. <laughs> Payne. But she deliberately named him that. Don't tell me it didn't bother him. I have reason to believe it haunted him. Just as for some of you, the abuse of your past has led to serious psychological problems and you've needed help to recover and I respect you for seeking help. No child should ever be abused. But his name, I, I, I thought about lovely names, faith, hope, serenity, Victoria, isn't that a pretty name? Grace. And for boys, Victor, Prince. There was a quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams years ago with a great name, Roman Gabriel. What's a quarterback playing football doing named Roman Gabriel? What a great name. Here's Payne. Isn't it interesting that the very first thing we read about him is that he's more honorable than his brothers? There's a man named Jabez who is more honorable than any of his brothers. Could mean his family, brothers, could mean his Jewish peers who are often seen as brothers. More honorable. Kavod is the Hebrew word. It means heavy. We use the word weighty, as in weighty matters for something significant, important. In fact, uh, this particular word is used in Numbers 22.15, translated distinguished. Isn't that interesting? more distinguished. Now we're getting somewhere. 
more than his peers. We greatly admire people who come out of nothing and nowhere and emerge into greatness. I think that's part of the reason we have such a high regard for our 16th president. Born in obscurity in Hardin County, Kentucky, in a place without an address, a log cabin in the woods, lived in the woods, stayed there, raised by an illiterate father and a sweet mother who died long before his teenage years. In fact, he helped his dad build the coffin in which she was placed. I've always thought that was a touching thought. And laid on the mound where they buried her, crying his heart out. His dad left him and his sister as he went to find a wife to help with the children. And he left the children alone. The wife says when she came back and found the children, she was a fine lady, she came back and found them barefoot. They'd never had shoes. Living, as she put it, like little animals in a cage. Hardly made it through the second creed taught himself to read and write, and thanks to his mother, had a built-in interest in it, becoming self-educated, and can you believe it, studied law and passed the bar and practiced it in Illinois, and became the President of the United States, our greatest president. From nothing more honorable than his peers. We admire people like that. And so for some reason, I'm drawn with admiration to a boy named Payne, who the, the writer says outstripped his brothers by distinguishing himself, unlike any of them, more honorable than they. How could that be? How could that have happened? What was it that caused Jabez to reach such admirable heights? Well, the secret's in verse 10. Look for yourself. He was the one who called out. Literally, the Hebrew reads, cried out. He cried out to God. There's a desperation in it. He needed God to come to his rescue, to be for him what no one else has ever been. So he cries out, He asks, first of all, for divine engagement. Oh, that you would bless me. Your Bible may include the word indeed. It isn't in the Hebrew text, but it's the way translators try to make the meaning, the syntax of the Hebrew 
come to life for this particular this particular prayer includes what is called a particle of wishing i'd never seen it before one of my sources revealed that it's a rare expression when combined with the intensive form of the verb reveals a person who desperately wants something oh god oh god I desperately need you to be engaged in my life. Bless me with an overwhelming blessing. Perhaps he's surrounded by mediocrity or mockery. And he rises above it in his prayer life and he says, Oh, that you would come to my rescue Engage yourself in my life. I long for you to break through the cloud that has covered me and the pain and the shame that has surrounded me since birth. You could do that, God. And I call out to you. I watched on YouTube uh, just this last week on my iPhone. I had a few extra moments and it talked about a rescue at sea where this particular Coast Guard rookie made his first save. Uh, in 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 uh, heavy uh, wind and waves, as he came upon a sailboat that had capsized, and there was a man crying out for help, and this this drop happens as you've seen from the helicopter, and, and this uh, I, I love the scene. The man is is calling out to him, and he reaches down, he grabs him, and the guy just clings to him. It's that kind of thing. There's a desperation in this. I've endured these things. I've gone on year after year. But now, Lord, I turn it over to you. I ask for divine engagement in my life. And I don't simply pray it. I cry out for it. And having done so, he then called for divine enlargement. Look, look. For what does he ask? Expand my territory. He's not looking for a landmass. It's not that kind of territory. Broaden my world. Widen my vision. Enlarge my direction. It's so easy to be satisfied with small. Uh, there's, a, there's a little couplet that says, content to fill a little space if God be glorified. Well, that, that's a worthy sentiment if that's where God places us. But must all places be little? I mean, is it only the little place where God is glorified? How about a large space? How about a, 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 a major role in this world in which we live? How about, I mean, wouldn't it be great to have a great president that speaks for Christ and isn't afraid to talk about the living God and represents what is right and good 
and best for our country. Wouldn't that be great? A big place. Wouldn't it be great to have congressmen and women who weren't afraid to say, that's wrong, that's a lie. We cannot do that. We must do this. And to think outside the box, I've come to where I hate the box. This world of limitations and watch out, be careful. It isn't, it isn't correct. That's why I love it, because it isn't correct. It breaks the mold. Expand my world, Lord. If it's a little space, I'm satisfied there, but could you possibly broaden it? I've been in little all my life. I surround my life with little. Expand this territory of my world. Just a little personal testimony here. We got Insight for Living started just uh, hand to mouth. I mean, we, we spent all of our money to get it underway, and, and that, that was spent. We, we had just a, a little bit of an idea. We had, Cynthia and I had no experience in media ministry. Uh, our, our first uh, uh, filing cabinet was a shoebox under our bed. How's that provision? Well, we had it in alphabetical order anyway, and we started there, and we said to each other, well, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, God's will that we, we go on maybe a dozen or, or more stations. <laughs> sure, why not? And then one day she said to me, you know what I think? I think we could, we could expand this to, uh, to be on, uh, across the country. And I go, really? Oh, me of little faith? Are, are, you, are you kidding? No. No, she said this. Uh, they want our broadcast. They, they want us to, I said, well, where's the money going to come from? Well, I think last time I checked, we have a God in heaven who will provide for our needs. You know, we, the very first time we found ourselves in, in serious need, we had, I think, three on the payroll, maybe four, and uh, we, we, had to, we had to make payroll. It was about 70,000, 71 or something like that. And the first month, God sent in 75,000. And I go, oh, man, it's great. I was the one who said, where's the money going to come from? And then it enlarged further, and then he brought in more, and then it went further, and then we moved internationally, and, and uh, we began to open up headquarters in Canada and then Australia, English-speaking, and maybe we could go to, uh, into Europe and, and get in the Arabic-speaking areas, and then South America and, and, uh, and Romania and... I mean, before we knew it, she came home from a Wycliffe conference where she had been on the President's Council, and she said to me, you know, honey, uh, Wycliffe does uh, translation. I go, yeah, I know, we're at breakfast. And she's just talking about what she had picked up while she was at the meeting, and she said, you know, they're, they're in, uh, their desire is to get into all the world and to translate the Bible into the language of, of those local areas and vernacular of those areas and, and she said isn't that a great thing I said yeah that's wonderful she said we need to do the follow up and I go honey that's worldwide stuff she said I know I've got the idea that we ought to call it vision 195 I learned while I was away there are 195 countries in the world so let's plan on reaching 195 countries and I 
Uh, pass the eggs and the, the bacon. Uh, let's just, just wait a minute. She says, no, I'm not going to wait a minute. We're going to do that. And now that, that's, our, that, that, that's our motto. When you walk in, you need to visit the new building over here where we, we have a, a marvelous gallery of the nations. You come in where there are little niches built for one for each of the nations, and we're, we're going to put artifacts and translations and flags and pictures, and, and we're hoping to staff each one of them with our pastors that will minister God's word and shepherd the people there, and, and it's, it, it, it's, it's our middle name. Lord, expand our territory. It, 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 it isn't a, a head trip. This isn't Jabez full of pride. He said, Lord, broaden my world. Surprise me with what you can do. Place me wherever you wish, but I ask that if it's possible, it be a larger place than I've been able to fill thus far in my life. I need that divine enlargement. Well, that calls for divine empowerment. Look at what he says. And please, same breath that asks for enlarged territory, please, please be with me in all that I do. I love that. I don't want to go out on my own. This isn't the uh, Jabez Enterprising uh, organization going on here. Uh, I, I, I want you in the middle of it. I want you to be the strength. I want you to be the controlling power. I want, in fact, the Hebrew says, oh, that your hand will be with me. In Hebrew, the idea of hand is a, is a picture, a, a symbol of strength and guidance. It's even at times a term of endearment, placing his hand on. We do that with each other. We place our hands. When we ordain young men for the ministry, we place our hands. It's called the laying on of hands. Lord, place your hand on this. Empower all of this. I don't want to go out on my own. I want to go out with you. As I broaden from the world I've been born into, bringing nothing but pain to those around me. And finally, he asks for divine enablement. Notice what he asks. That you would be with me and keep me from all trouble. And look at that. And pain. Look at that. It's a play on words with his name. I've been pain all my life. But I pray that what you do in my life will be such a guiding presence and such a protective power and such an obvious work of, from your hand that clearly, Lord, I will outlive my name. I will get beyond the shadow that has hovered over me as long as I can remember. Don't let me live up to this name that has brought shame and heartache to me. And God granted him his request. Look at that.
No guilt. No, 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 Jabez, no, no, watch out. None of that. God heard his prayer, and like that Coast Guardsman that came down and rescued, God came to his rescue and said, I'm here. I'll grant you this, your, your request. How he did it, we're never told. Where he used him is not in the record. But you can be sure when it says God granted him his request, it means exactly that. This leaves me with several lessons to learn and then a story, true story, I want to tell you. The first lesson is a struggling start doesn't necessitate a limited life. I don't know your story. Most of you, I, I do not know, and, and those watching uh, our presentation today, I, I, I don't know any of your stories, but quite likely you, you have lived a limited life. You've been told by many what you can't do, what you shouldn't do, what you ought not do, what you should not be involved in. That's a struggling start, but it limits your life if you let it. Jabez wouldn't let it. Doesn't necessitate a limited life unless you allow it to. Here's the second. No amount of success is safe without God's presence. That's why he says that you would be with me. I want to walk with you each step. I want us to be in lockstep, Lord, so that when you open a door and I go through it, I want you to lead the way through it. I want you to open the door. I'm not going to manipulate this. The safety will come in your presence all the way. And so I ask for that. Stay with me. Stop me where I'm going out of the, uh, I'm going too far. In the third lesson, when God blesses a life, there is no reason for guilt. Let me speak to uh, a group of you I seldom address. A few of you may have quite a bit of this world's goods. I don't know who you are. Your wealth is, is uh, between you and the Lord. Uh, let's say you are very well healed maybe better off than your parents ever dreamed of being. Most of us live in homes nicer than our folks could imagine. But let's say you're unusually blessed. There's no reason for guilt. Your, your, your wealth isn't evil. It's given by God. He, he, he has prospered you. You've earned it. The hard way, you've been honest and faithful, and look at what God has done. If you have more than you need, obviously, one of the things you can do with it is give it away. Be of help to others. I was just sharing with Cynthia a story I was told uh, just this past week from a friend of mine who was having lunch with a, apparently a very wealthy individual, and they were talking about a particular need and the man smiled and said, yeah, 
Uh, that'd be wonderful. I'd, I'd, I'd love to give them 15 million. It was almost an afterthought. I go, 15 million. How many zeros is that? But you know what? For those who are really, really wealthy, that, that, that's not a shock. The shock is in the giving of it. How unusual it is to find someone that wealthy, that generous. But how wonderful. Every ministry I'm aware of is able to be sustained by those who faithfully give their gifts. And on occasion, God brings in a large gift from someone who just has a heart for what they're doing. And it's just out of the blue. It's marvelous. So there's no reason for guilt. God is full of surprises, and he does great things and mighty things, when, and, and he's to be glorified in it all. Now my story. One of my close friends in ministry is a man some of you know. His name is Mark Young, Dr. Mark Young. Mark was born and raised in Putnam County, West Virginia in the town of Hurricane. He taught me to say it right, because I said, Hurricane. He said, no, that's, that's the way Yankees pronounce it. It's called Hurricane, Hurricane, say it right. Okay, Hurricane. He's very proud of being raised in Hurricane, West Virginia. Had nothing. His dad was a banker in a moderate community and faithfully served there uh, all of Mark's life, right there in Hurricane. He said to him one day, he said, Mark, you ought to think about going to college. You'd be the first one of seven generations of youngs that would ever graduate from college. Turned the light on in Mark's mind, and he, as a young man, thought, well, I, I could do that. And sure enough, he went to Marshall University and uh, graduated the first in seven generations, coming out of nothing, uh, Mark was a graduate of, of, of Marshall University. I forgot to tell you that his, uh, his family is, is just a hilarious story after hilarious story. Uh, when he would go, I think it was his grandmother, when he'd go to visit her, she lives in a log cabin just beyond the holler. The holler. Yeah, and, and he said, you, got to, you can drive only so far, then you got to get out of your car, and then you walk. You go down to a ravine and back up, and he said, you get near the log cabin, you hear, boom! It's a shotgun. And, and he goes, right, right, Granny, it's, it's Mark. Boom! He said, she always shoots twice before anybody comes to visit her. And, he, and she said, is that you, Mark? Yep, that's me. So the, Mark comes out of the holler, and he makes his way up to this spotless log cabin where she lives her life all alone. Has a garden, and uh, uh, one of the brothers brings uh, food in on occasion, but mainly she raises her own food. He comes from that kind of background. And, and uh, here he is, a graduate university. Now you might think, done. Nope, not Mark. So he realizes the Lord wants him in ministry, and he knew of a school in Dallas where he could uh, get his training. So he came to a place called Dallas Theological Seminary, where he earned his Master of Theology degree. I mean, another four years. 
And boy, uh, that was unusual. But the best part of coming to Dallas, as he would tell you, is that he was at Dr. Howie Hendricks' uh, office one day, and he noticed the secretary. They called him secretaries back then. Now it's an executive assistant. But that's what she was, and Priscilla was there, and Priscilla caught his eye, and, well, long story short, they got married. Sounded like the way a guy would tell a story, doesn't it? He met her, and then afterwards married her, and he and Priscilla are now going through life together. She was from missionary parents. Well, they decided that the Lord wanted them on the mission field. That was before the Iron Curtain was lifted, so they went into Europe, of all places, into Poland, and there he ministered. Mary served faithfully, and Mary helped found a seminary. This is the little boy raised in the holler in West Virginia, in Hurricane. And so he founds a seminary, and, and in doing so, he realizes, you know, after a number of years that are serving, he, he, he really needs more education. He really needs to uh, up it another level. So he comes back to the States, he and Priscilla and the family, and, and he attends uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois, where he earns his PhD. About that time, I'm at Dallas Seminary, a part of the leadership, and someone says to me, you know, we need to interview a man named Dr. Mark Young. He's uh, finished his work at Trinity, and we need someone in cross-cultural, intercultural studies and uh, world missions. And, and so we interviewed Mark and Priscilla. Priscilla really wanted to go back to the mission field, and Mark did too, but they were torn, and he thought, well, maybe the Lord wants me here. So I was just thrilled. We got Mark to say yes, and, and, and uh, maybe I should put it spiritually, the Lord led him to say yes, and, and uh, he became a part of our faculty for several years, and also joined our staff and was a part of our staff in strategic planning and working with students to mentor them for ministry and while he was here in Dallas, as well as at our church, uh, Denver Seminary, of all things, began looking for a new president. And uh, guess who they thought of? And guess who they were led to? You're right, Mark Young. It was my privilege to deliver his inaugural uh, challenge when he was made president of Denver Seminary. Think about it. From the obscurity of Hurricane West Virginia, near the holler, coming out of that to Marshall, beyond that to Dallas, beyond there to the mission field and founding a seminary, from that back here to earn a PhD, come to the faculty of his alma mater, serve here, now president of a seminary in Denver. God does great things, doesn't he? And the great part of this whole story is not so much about Jabez or about a man named Mark. It's you. The story is preserved for us, for all of us. You're on this page. I know, I know. You feel like a, a number, just another unknown in this obscure place that you call home. 
but you have no idea what the Lord's plan for you is, so ask him. Call on him. Lord, bless me indeed. Enlarge my world. Broaden my vision. Give me the courage to act on faith and to go beyond the expected that I might serve you and represent you in a way that not even my own parents would have ever believed. May your hand be with me that it might not harm me and that I might not bring pain to you or to anyone else. Grant me my request, I pray. It's the integrity of a bold vision. I encourage you to develop it. Start today. Would you bow your head with me, please? My message has ended, but the, uh, I think it really goes on for a while. Through lunch today, Maybe through the afternoon, maybe overnight, or next week. Could it be that the Lord is prompting you to move from where you find yourself to where he wants to send you? Or if not sending you personally, using your gifts, financial or otherwise, to reach a broader world than you've ever reached. Don't limit it. Don't be afraid. Don't hesitate. God is ready to grant you such a request. If you've never met the Savior, of course, coming to the cross is the beginning point where you and he can get on speaking terms, shall we say. And you can begin to walk with him and know a relationship with the living God you've never known before. It all starts there. Come today to Christ. Thank you, dear Father, for speaking to us through a life we would otherwise have passed up and overlooked. Thank you for saying to us, exactly what some of us needed to hear for lifting us from the shackles of many, many years of heartbreak, disappointment, discouragement, and misery to realize that you want to use us in a broader, greater way than we've ever thought of before. Give us the faith to trust you for that. Even a large place for your greater glory. I ask in the name of the Savior, Jesus, our enthroned master. Everyone said, Amen.